Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have a fantastic guest here. His story is so captivating that I wanted to share it with you in this audience. It's my friend, Tom Leibelt. He is the, he is the owner of We Market Online Courses. He is an, an SEO guy, a lot of different things, but that's not why I wanted to have him on. His story is so fascinating. And he is joining me. So at the time we record this podcast, it is eight in the morning here where I am. It's seven at night in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where Tom is. And Tom joins me this morning on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Tom, how are you today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Your day has just, your day while I slept, while I was a slacker and slept, <laughs> You, you were you were hard at work, just just getting after it. So, here's where I want to start the conversation today. Your your business is so unique. You have almost, and, and I and I I say almost. I preface it that way. You have almost had your business be recession proof because you're not limited to a physical space. You're not limited to where you can do business. How has the pandemic been for you and your business? Because everybody has differing degrees of how they're handling this thing. So take me through your experience through the last six months or so of this global pandemic. So, you know, the way my business is set up is very intentional uh, in, in, in a lot of ways. You know, I put constraints on my business a long time ago um, to make sure my team doesn't grow too big. Um, to make sure that we can work from anywhere in the world, um, to make sure we're, that we're fairly anti-fragile in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, none of that could have really foreseen the pandemic, you know, like none of that. Um, so with this in mind, uh, we got lucky. You know, and luck plays a big part in our lives, if you think about it. You know, like we, we, we can work, we can, you know, make things happen. But a lot of times when you really think about, about it, you're like, well, those things that people can't replicate, you know, of our methods, that's when the luck comes in. And, yeah, we got lucky, you know, like, look, I'm in the course marketing space, which is that e-learning courses space and the whole world went remote yeah you know people have to train online they have to learn things schools colleges businesses so my niche definitely blew up um i did just fine like we've been booked um the whole way through but you know we haven't made as much as some of the other companies who are much more built for scale right? Like these platforms yeah. that's seen more growth in April and May than in the whole last year. You know, we, we, we didn't have that. Um, 
the lucky part is that we basically were in the right niche and we did not become non-essential. We still, people still wanted and needed us. Mm. So we had no problems during this whole thing. And other than looking at the news and not being able to leave and see my parents in the States at the moment, you know, cause it's, I could leave, but I can't come back. Mm. Like that's the problem. So other than that, it's been business as usual. You know, the hard part has been trying to avoid the news because yeah. the more you look at that, the more crazy everything seems. And on top of it, you know, we got the elections coming. That's always a crazy time anyways, you know, yeah. without anything happening. But if you stack things on top of each other, it's, it's just, you know, avoiding the news has been the hassle. Well, Tom, here's the thing too. A lot of people, for them, this pandemic, to your point, it's almost like the perfect storm in your business because everything went remote. And I like what you, I really like what you said there for others. It's, it's like, and I was telling someone the other day, I wouldn't have dreamed that the things that people were going to, to need desperately that were going to drive the, the market to it. were going to be toilet paper. In the United States, I mean, whoever, whoever at the at Charmin or Procter and Gamble, whoever those people, whoever's running the toilet, the paper division is going to have a monster year because I mean it's it, it's blown up here. Webcams, I needed a webcam. You couldn't get a webcam where I live for weeks. I mean, the the shelves were empty. This this global pandemic caused spikes in businesses that just took them this way. And then there were other companies that did the opposite. If you were in the restaurant and the service industry, man, you've had a tough year because things were locked down or, or the capacity. So when you started to see, and, and, and wanna, I want to ask you this, when you started to see that, okay, we're going to settle into this thing for a little bit, was there anything that you had to do to your business to be a little bit different? Because I could see... I love the concept that you created. And when you were talking about that, the word that came to mind was nimble. I can move freely from thing to thing, place to place. We're not locked into a physical space. We're very nimble as a business. When it started to settle in for you guys, how much more nimble did you have to become to accelerate the demand that you were getting for your product? So... You know, usually around April, May, June, like I take time off, you know, because it's just to avoid burnout. Yeah. This year we didn't, you know, because I didn't know what next year is going to hold for us. I still don't. None of us do. We, we don't know. So I was like, well, you know, it might come to it that I'll have six months off next year. Who knows? Yeah. Right. And I'll be able to work on my own stuff and just, you know, enjoy my life a bit. But you know what, you know, like like they say, as long as the fish are biting, stay on the boat. Yeah. You know, because you just don't know. You know, like uh, we don't like to assume things. The, the, so that didn't really change much. I just you know had to kind of push my vacation back. I'm still pushing it back, just because, like I said, I think next year might be where things kind of. I don't know if I'd say settle in, but we got to kind of pay, pay it back for all the, you know, the stuff that we've got. Yeah. So the main thing that I told my team 
is look, we're fine. But, you know, I had businesses beforehand. Um, I had a coffee shop. I had a record store. I had a lot of businesses before this. And people that still have them will not be fine. So a lot more empathy, a lot less sales type of oriented. You know, like, let's not push anything onto anyone. Tell people what we can do for them and then let them relax and figure it out. You know, like that, that was like my main message. Like make sure we don't, we're not one of these companies that messages everyone going like, hey, in these difficult times, what can I do for you and trying to pitch you? You know, like it's so obvious, it's horrible, I hate it. You know, like it's, it's just like, you know, things are hard, pay me money, you know, like that type of thing. I, I really don't like it. And I, I, that was the thing that I stressed with my team. I was like, look, it's gonna get a little weird. You know, people are gonna be freaking out don't take advantage of it. Yeah. You know, that, that was the main difference that we had. Because usually I tell my team to be super pushy because, you know, people are busy. People don't have time. Follow up. Just make sure that we lock whatever we have to in. Could be interview, anything. And I told them to back off. That was it. Well, and, and I love that strategy because, and I said this, Tom, and, and, and this is why, I appreciate you being on the podcast this morning. What I said was, was this, when I started the podcast, there's a lot of expertise out there in the marketplace. I could add my own voice to it. However, when people are going through things, the last thing they want is expertise. I love what you said there. Hey, we're just checking in. Here's what we have. If you want it, it's available to you. You, you just basically told your customers, look, we're here to hold your hand. We're not here to do anything else otherwise because we're all in this thing together. I love what you said there. How did your team respond from that standpoint, getting that intentional encouragement from you to say, okay, listen, we don't have to push as hard. We can, we can just be people dealing with people and everybody is dealing with this whole big thing together. I, I think they appreciated it. You know, my team, you know, they have friends, family, they work for other businesses. And my approach was completely different from everyone else. And that, you know, like I, I can tell that even my employees, you know, even though the business is fine, they're stressed out. Everyone's stressed out. Like, you know, stress levels are probably at an all-time high for everyone right now even though, you know, like we're fairly calm, but you know, there's, it's like this stress in the background. There's a lot of stressors, which we don't know. You know, like the girlfriend looked at the news today and then we got, okay, we have problems with Europe. We have problems in China. We have problems in Taiwan, America going nuts. Like anything you look at, you know, there's just, people are going nuts, you know, because it's, it's just stress levels. It's normal, it's normal. So like I understand in my team, even though they don't act like it and they maybe shouldn't, they're going to be stressed out. So I think they appreciated me kind of being like, look, you can take the, you know, foot off the pedal a little bit. We'll be fine. We're still getting customers. We're still building an audience. The systems are working fine, but just don't stress yourself or other people out because that's what's going to happen. You know, when you start being pushy towards stressed out people, they're going to kind of lash back. 100%. And then you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. And then you're going to have to deal with it. So 
like one of the things that I've done um, while we were building an audience and we continually do, like, you know, I was thinking of putting some kind of a product out, an educational product, but I was like, you know what? Not the time. So I'm going to build it and I'm going to let all my audience look at it for free as I'm building it in my email list. So I'm pretty much giving something I could charge a lot for just for free. Right. And even with that, I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, acting like, hey, stop trying to sell me. I was like, there's no sales pitch anywhere in there. Yeah. But it's because they're stressed. People are stressed. You know, they've read five emails trying to pitch them something in a really bad way. And then when they just look at mine, you know, their brain just doesn't really work well anymore. Like, but well, this is normal. Yeah. And, and the thing of it is, is that in my career in sales, I, I never wanted to be, and, and there was a time that I, that I was 100% commissioned. There was a time that it's like, hey, I, you know, I really would like to do this. I worked with a guy once that every time there was a promotion that came out, he was always going to his customers going, help me out, help me out, help me out. We got this promotion. Help me out, help me out. And it got mm -hmm. to the point with his customers where it was like they were fatigued. I never wanted to be that way because yeah, I wanted to win trips and I wanted to win promotions and I wanted to win stuff for my family. But when you sell desperately, I don't care if you're face-to-face -face selling or if, if you are selling virtually, remotely, however you're doing it, email, desperation comes through in no matter what communication you come at because when you appear desperate, or you sound desperate in the mind of that buyer, guess what? You are desperate. Yeah, yeah. We've been, I would say fortunate, but it's not fortunate. Like I've, I've designed a business to have enough social proof and leads coming in and everything so we don't ever have to come from that position. Um, well, and, and Tom, let me, let me jump in there. I, I, I said that because I like what you said there a moment ago about I'm trying to give my audience something because in this time, I want to show that our business is a giving business. I want to show that we're socially responsible and, and we're, we're trying to help. And, and you said, you know, people are like, you know, because of their stress. I think people automatically have started to condition themselves to think, especially when you, when you were talking about the four or five emails before, like, you know, I'm dealing with my own problems in my own business. And now you're trying to bring me something else that I may or may not need. When you think about that, and, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to go here for just a minute because you, you're hitting on something really important. How important is it to stay true to your values as a business and to what you believe in? Because, you know, the, the natural inclination would be, okay, we've got to, we've got to raise revenue. We've got to do this. We've got to do, we've got to insulate. And it's counterintuitive to what you naturally believe as a business owner. How important was you, was it for you to stay true to your core through this whole thing? I mean, I, I try to do that no matter what we're going through, you know, but the, the thing I wanted to finish up with the emails, like, you know, we had, you know, that reaction just from like a handful of people and our list is pretty big. And what I noticed is that with every time I, you know, gave more and more, the open rates went way higher on everything. 
because people are like, man, like this, this guy was giving us like really good stuff, you know, and, and not asking yeah. for anything back. And I won't, you know, I won't ask for anything even after it's done. It's, that's, that's not the point of it. But I just looked at the way other businesses were treating this and it was really strange, you know, like trying to give like positive messages, which were on brand, you know what I mean? Like they were very yeah. like weird type of things, you know, celebrities making songs. I'm like, who needs this? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a great point. <laughs> right? Yeah. Who needs it? You know, like I thought the only thing my audience wants right now, especially, you know, since they're course creators, it's, you know, sell more courses. So if I can tell them in, you know, bite sides, um emails like different ways of how we do it you know no one's going to be mad about that you know especially if it's valuable but i thought just give the people what's going to actually give them the outcome instead of trying to like position my brand or or you know give them like you know these times are hard and therefore i'm giving you i'm like i didn't do any of that and i was like no yeah. i'm just going to start giving them like ideas and help with what they need um to accomplish and i mean it's been you know working quite well for us but but that was the, the main thing you know like how do we make sure we take as many people through this that they come out a little better on the other end because of us that was that was really the thinking behind it yeah and not posturing you know which i find a lot in this business space a lot of posturing and and things which are just not necessary at all. Well, you, you were talking about on-brand messaging, and, and I love that because I noticed that as you were saying that, there are a ton of commercials. If, if you sit down here in the States, you watch television, doesn't matter what you whether you're watching sports or you're watching uh, HGTV, as my wife and I do, the home, you know DIY network or whatever, Every messaging from a lot of these people are going in times like these things are hard. I don't want to constantly be reminded of that messaging. You know, they, they, they've got, you know, Amazon is like, well, in times like this, it's hard and we're trying to do extra things. And, okay, great. If I order something on Amazon, just get the, the stuff here that I need. I don't care that times are hard. They're hard for everybody. I love what you said there about companies trying to, to, to be overly empathetic when it's not in their nature to do so. And, and I think that's where, I think it's what I heard you, you say, at least that's what. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's correct. Right. And, and this is why, you know, I took this path because I'm not the most empathetic business either normally. So, I, you know, I thought, look, I'm not going to try to prove or, or sell people on something I'm not. I'm just going to start giving this info out. And if they take advantage of it, fine. But, you know, I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, hey, you know, I will help you. And they'll be like, that's not Tom. That was never him. You know, it just, it doesn't work. And, and that's why these companies, I don't know, especially with Amazon. Come on, man. Like Bezos is making money over a fist. Like what time's hard for who? What are you talking about? I, I, you know, I posted this, um, this meme with Bezos saying, I'm going to um, show you guys a magic trick um, and make a Lamborghini, this Lamborghini appear. And he's like, 10 seconds later, boom, done. You know, because his, he made enough money to buy it. 
like he, you know, when he's saying times are hard, it's like really Bezos, like for who? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. He became I, like three times richer than before after this pandemic. Well, his we have a connection here in my area where I live because his first wife was her her family was from Huntington, West Virginia, and so we've had an Amazon uh, call center here for probably close to twenty years. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. So people here kind of know that background, but I want to get into your background. Um, you have got such a fascinating story, and that's why I wanted to have you on. You started in business very early. So take me back as far as you want to take me and the audience back to your story growing up in Russia and, and bring us kind of, you know, full circle from then to now, because it, it's, I think it's absolutely fascinating, and I think people will, will appreciate what you have gone through and, and overcome in your life to get to where you are. Yeah, so it was Poland, not Russia. I'm sorry. Um, that, listen, it, it, you know, the, the first cup of coffee has not kicked in yet, so. My, no, it's my all good. It was good. <laughs> it, was in, uh, it, was, it was in Poland. Um, the way things were when I was little, um, that you only had really two choices in that country because it was communists, you know, socialist communists at that time. And that's the reason we left to the States. Um, you could get with the program and have the government kind of, you know, support you and help you get ahead, or you had to do things under the table. And my parents hated the regime. So everything in my family really was done under the table. So one of the things my dad was doing, um, he smuggled alcohol into Germany and he brought VCRs and things back, electronics, um, because the tariffs were just insane. You know, we made better liquor, they made better electronics, but getting them back and forth without the communist party's involvement was impossible. Um, or you would end up paying 10 times more, more than so. It was no. business. Now, Tom, let me ask you this. Was this when Germany was still separated? So was East Germany, West yeah. Germany? So West Germany, yeah. Yeah. For, for, for some that may not know the historical perspective, East Germany was communist, West Germany was free, and the Berlin Wall separated the two of them. So help me geographically. Is Poland on the east side or the west side? Was it closer to East Germany or West Germany? On the border of the east side. So, so Poland was feeling that, that real communist tug along with East Germany because yeah. East Germany was very heavily communist and West Germany was free. That's why the, the, the wall existed. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, when I went to Berlin a couple of years ago, I walked along that wall. It's beautiful, man. It's got graffiti all the way up and down the wall now. It's, it's, uh, it's really nice what they did with it. And you can still feel the difference um in the types of people that live on the east versus the west and the buildings and just the atmosphere you can still feel it but back then my job as a six seven year old a couple times not not many but a couple times was to lay in the back seat and scream cry and make all types of noise when the customs were searching the car so that was my first uh job for my dad um, you know, when they, when they were searching the car. You had to create like the diversion, to... <laughs> didn't you, my man? Yeah. You I had to create the yeah. diversion. Yeah. Yeah. Because who's yeah. going to, who is, who is not going to have empathy toward parents that have a screaming kid in the backseat? Like, Hey, 
we don't want to deal with this either. Just go on. And uh, yeah, that's pretty yeah. brilliant on your, your mom and dad's part. Yeah, my dad gave me a heads up. You're about to start screaming in 10 seconds. And <laughs> <laughs> my dad, hey, listen, man, my dad would do the same thing. But it was after I did something stupid and my, my, my dad was about to, to spank me. Like, look, in about 10 seconds, you're going to start crying. <laughs> it's stupid. So, yeah, but, you know, look what happened. So, but See, for you, it was punishment. For me, that was a toy coming on the other end. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, no pain, no gain, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so that was, you know, a part of it. And then he would take me to the soccer stadiums on the weekends in Poland and help uh, sell the stuff so you know I, I learned really quickly that if you can get something for a lower price and sell it for a higher price which is basically business you know if you can produce or whatever you know and, and, and make a profit you're in business you know so so I, I had the basics down and then he also told me you know if you can make more than you spend every single month you'll never have a problem you know so it was also a big lesson for me from those days um, but that was yeah now I want to ask you would now, how did your dad determine that that was the right business to be in? Did he just see a glaring need or a desire? Because some people are, are intentional about this is the market that I see. This is the need that I can fill. And other people happen to fall into the business that they go into. They have that moment where they're like, listen, I didn't realize this. So I'm going to pivot quickly and go there. And they're wildly successful did your dad have any kind of foresight did your parents have any foresight did he did your did your parents have any training in electronics or was it just simply here's a need we know where we can get it we can fill it did somebody point them to that help me help me kind of bridge i'm trying to in my mind figure out how your parents were brilliant enough to understand that that man, this was going to be the way to go. I mean, this was the business to get into. They've tried a lot of different things. Like my mom would uh, take a bus to Turkey uh, and try to come back with clothes for sale, you know, and other things they, they did okay. My dad, I think went to Romania to do something similar. He went to Sweden a lot, uh, took me a couple of times because we had family up there and they would put blueberries in the mountains, which were then turned into paint in Sweden. Um, but the German thing, I, you know, people were smuggling all types of things. I think cigarettes were like the main ones back. But when he went the first time, all the Germans were asking him for alcohol. That's what they wanted from Poland. He's like, okay, cool. So, you know, he knew what to bring. And then he was looking at, you know, what type of luxury items he can fit, you know, behind the seat. And that people were using as status symbols in Poland. And at that moment, VCRs was one of the big ones. You know, if you had a color TV and a VCR and a satellite, you were pretty much bowling. You know, <laughs> you, you're not going to fit a satellite or a TV behind the seat. Not see, easily. See in, West, you know? see, in West Virginia, where I live, it's the same principle. You know, if you have a satellite dish <laughs> in your backyard and, and uh, yeah, hey, no joke, man, you can still go to places in this area. And the the huge i mean the 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 freaky huge satellite dishes not the little tiny things that that kind of fit in your garden your you know flower bed mm -hmm. or something like that these are things man that are are like mini satellites they they still exist here man i i go by them and and 
and people still have them out there. So a VCR, a TV, and, and what else? And you were a baller in Poland back then. Color TV, color oh TV, VCR, oh yeah. And, and if you really like on the cutting edge, you had a CD player. Man. And, and this was the funny thing, man. Like um, some other people that he knew smuggled those in, right? So they had CD players in the house. And, you know, like I always tell them, oh, play something, right? And they all play classical music. And I was like, why are you playing this garbage? Like play something normal, right? <laughs> but I realized, <laughs> I realized that it was the only type of music they could afford because everything else was like so expensive. So everyone, everyone became a snob in classical music because they couldn't afford anything else. But it was like, it was just hilarious. So, so um, the, the, the hip hop scene in Poland was not, big in the day huh so the, the hip-hop scene was just starting but you know hip-hop is a very street yeah music right for yeah. for younger people so I, I knew a few that were starting to play with it but it was very very rough man like you could hear cars going by because they would record on like small tape decks you know they had music playing from a different deck not even connected because we no one had that, you know, those tools rapping and then like trying to overdub. It was, it was really, really basic. And I mean, it was kind of cool because of that, but yeah, it was, it was definitely not, not anything even close to professional. But the one thing which I remember, which was funny, you know, we didn't have many things um, at the house. Like we didn't have too many status symbols. We had, you know, VCR, you know, and, and the color TV cause you know, um, from my dad's hustles but when we got the satellite the whole neighborhood came out to watch my dad and some people install it it was such a new thing on the balcony they were like i you know it was a show like the whole you know <laughs> <That's> great, <man. laughs> yeah, was out just watching like what's happening oh yeah they get they're getting the signal like they're you know passing this on like it's gonna help them anything like they you know but it was just a funny thing. Hey, I remember man, we, I was, uh... we just changed internet <laughs> service providers. And, and so, so yesterday as we're recording this, I, we, we, we bought a new router because our service speed just went through the roof. I mean, I, 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 I feel like a baller now here in West Virginia because <laughs> I have the, the internet speed. You know, my neighbors are, are probably jealous. So I have to go get a new router. And, you know, my son's taking online college courses at, at the university and, and I'm, I'm working from home doing podcasts from home. And so we go get a router and it, it's defective out of the box. I mean, I'm, I'm on the phone for hours with Netgear and, and re, resetting and things like that. So we finally got it hooked up and everything. And as you were talking about that, man, I thought to myself, I'm the baller in my neighborhood because I have the internet Pretty speed. Much, right? Yeah, because I have the internet speed now. And it's like, you know, it's like, how do we want to set the password so nobody comes? So so what we've done, Tom, is is at our place, we have a whole home generator. We have the, the blazing internet speed. I'm thinking about putting a moat out front of my house and just walling <laughs> off my property so that so I can protect myself from invasion. Because if the power goes out, and the internet goes down, man, I'm still set. And, and I just don't want invaders rushing the property, man. That's what I was thinking about when you were talking you about- probably should have a moat. Yeah, yeah, you should probably should have a moat. Yeah, it probably wouldn't that. work 
as well in West Virginia, because you know your neighbors are probably not as close. But in the cities, what I've always done in the states when I was younger, and this is you know like starting like 15, 20 years ago, I used to always set up my wireless um, name as like FBI Van 003. My son suggested that. He said we should yeah. like NSA or something like that, you know, Homeland Security. Yeah. So, uh, but, but what we ended up doing was my son is a, a huge office fan. The show, he's a huge fan of the, the office. And so mm. he named it Threat Level Midnight after, oh, the Michael, after the Michael Scott movie inside of that. But I, I want to fast forward a little bit. You, 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 your mom and dad, you're in Poland, your dad's doing well with the side hustle. What was the impetus though, for you and your family to emigrate to the United States? What was that breaking point or that tipping point for your mom and dad where they said, Hey, it's, we've got to go do something else. So my dad, um, thought that it's not sustainable what he was doing. You know, he was really in kind of like a feast and famine, you know, like almost any, you know, business that does things like that. Um, you know, if they catch him, you know, he's going to lose a lot of money, you know, probably can't do it. Like if the car breaks, he maybe can't afford a new one. Like everything was really difficult. And we left right before they started talking about the European Union. Right. So what was that moment? My dad just kind of, you know, pulled the trigger on it. We had two ways to go. We could move to Germany because uh, my family's German um, ancestry wise. So I had a passport. He had a passport ready. We just had to go pick it up and we could move to Germany or my mom's side was in the States. Mm -hmm. And they just made the decision that, you know what, we're going to go to the States. Let's see how that works out. You know, but we had those two choices. We were going to move either way. We just didn't know which direction. Do you wonder how your life would have been different had your parents decided to move to Germany instead of the United States? I don't. I, I went back. I have family in Germany, and I think it would have been much, much worse for me. So you feel like that 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 your mom and dad just saying, okay, we're going to pull the trigger and go to the U.S. was absolutely the right move. And, and, and help me with the timeline. This is probably what, early 90s, maybe late 80s, early 90s when you guys moved to the States? exactly in 90. Wow. So, so 30 years ago, and man, the, the, that was, and you talk about Germany then, it was, I think, 88 or 89 when the wall fell. And so, you know, East Germany was now starting to assimilate to some semblance yeah. of freedom after decades of being under communist rule. Um, but when you got to the United States, what was the biggest thing that you said, man, I, I don't think we're we're anywhere close to where I'm I'm familiar with. What was your first impression? Were your first impression rather when you got to the U.S.? It was really difficult, you know. Like like when I said, you know, U.S. was a good choice for me. Um, it was a much better choice for me than my parents. And they, you know, they they thought that they probably made the wrong decision, um, and they still do in some ways. And, you know, they've asked me about this, like, is it, has it actually been better for you? And I was like, yeah, you guys, you made the best choice for me. There's no country where you can set up a business and run it the way we do in the States. There's no other place where, you know, the ease of running a business. Being an employee in America, as my parents have been, is horrible. 
I've gone through a couple of jobs. I, I see what that is. It's horrible. If you're going to be an employee, go to Europe. You're going to have a much, much better life. But as a business person, there is no better country in the world. And, and you know, I think maybe that kind of helps them to sleep well at night. But, but I think that was the main thing. When we moved to the States, it was hard. They had, you know, three, four jobs, minimum wage or below. Um, we were with a family member, which was not a good person at all. Um, you know, they had no help, no money, um, just trying to move on to our own. Uh, we were living in like a basement of that, you know, person's house. Like it was, it was just a really stressful time for them. I didn't feel it so much because as a kid, you just kind of like, oh, it's another crappy adventure that they're taking me on, you know, that type of thing. But but later on, I, I noticed just how much, it, you know, it affected them. Um, so you it was hard. It was hard. 10 years old when you moved to the States? Yeah, I was about 10. Yeah. So, so now your formative years are coming up and, and you're going to school um, in, in the States as opposed to, you know, going to school in Poland, things like that. And your parents settled in the, the Chicago area. Is that where they settled? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so for some perspective that for those that may not know, there is a, a very, there is a neighborhood and I drove through it once and, it, and it's unbelievable. The, the ethnicity that Chicago has, that unless you drive through those neighborhoods, you would never know it. There is a fully Polish neighborhood there in Chicago and you, you drive down the street and they're Polish. At least this was when I was there 20 years ago and drove through this neighborhood. There were Polish signs, businesses that sold Polish products. You would think it would be easier for them to assimilate knowing that there was a community there already that spoke Polish and, and things like that. What do you think was the hardest thing for you to adjust to, though, as you got to be 12, 13, 14 years old and you're in the United States, you're going, man, I've got to figure this out about living in America. So here's the problem, right? Like that neighborhood was huge. I think um, at one point, like one out of eight people in Chicago were Polish. But we were in the way, way out suburbs, about an hour away from it. Gotcha. And the gotcha. experience was completely different than that. Like we had zero Polish people around us at all. So it was very hard. You know, everything was far away. You know, we needed a car for everything. We had no one to talk to. We couldn't speak English. We had no help. It was, it was very, very difficult very difficult. Um, if we stayed in that neighborhood, just like in, in New York, when I later moved to New York to Greenpoint, that was a Polish neighborhood. You know, life would have been so much easier. Like you move in, this is like same thing as Poland, but we were not. Like my formative years, it was just going to school, coming back, not seeing my parents because they're at work, feeding myself, going to sleep, waking up. My parents already gone to work, not seeing them, waiting for the school bus. And it was just pretty much like that for years. You what know, do you think the uh, biggest thing you learned was, and I, mean, I didn't mean to jump in there, but what's the biggest thing that you think you learned about business from those years growing up? Because you learned the hustle part from your dad. And, and man, I admire that because my dad was real similar um, in, in the way he hustled with um, with sales jobs and things like that. So I, I, I can totally empathize and, and relate to what you're saying there. But growing up there, what do you think the, the biggest thing that you learned 
that has helped you in business from those years where it's like, man, I see the, the, I see the work that my parents are putting in just to survive, not to, not to eat, you know, grow their business from 5 million to 10 million. It was just to, to eat every day and have a place to live. Yeah. So the one thing I learned is that being an employee doesn't work in that country. If, if you have two people working four jobs and you can't afford new shoes, that's not, that's not the right path at all. So I quickly found out like, I'm not going to be an employee other than maybe to learn something. And then I'm off. Um, this is not for me. And second thing, you know, I became super independent because I, you know, no one's around. Um, and I remember I had a lot of drive, confidence, independence, and people were asking me about that. And I'm like, well, you know, part of it was because I just had to, but part of it was like, how do you compete with someone like me who's got nothing to lose? Like I lost everything back then, I thought, the moment I left the country. Like all my family, friends, belongings, everything was gone. So I'm like, you know, you guys have things to lose. I have nothing to lose. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be very hard. And that kind of, it, it played a big role in, in, you know, my 20s as well. Man, I love um, that. Because, I love that, yeah. Tom. I love that because I think so many people, and I, I want to park here just a minute, and then I want to get a little bit more out of your story because I think so many people today are so f afraid. They're holding everything close to the vest in business and sales and whatever it is they're doing because they're afraid they're going to lose it all. How much more, how, how aggressive, and we'll talk to the business owner that's sitting there, you know, how listening to Tom and I talk, how much more aggressive would you be? Would you take that next step if you had nothing to lose? If you said, if it fails, okay, big deal. No, so what? How much more successful would you be if there was nothing to lose? And I love what you said there, man. You were just like, you're going to compete against me. I, I have nothing to lose. And you have everything to lose because you have kind of built this house of cards. Not you, but the person you're competing against. When you think about that mentality, how did it push you past what you were, were comfortable with? How far past your comfort zone did that mentality push you? Very far. Like, you know, my parents' dream for me was like, just go to college, get a job. I went to three colleges. I moved all over the country. I got into the music industry. I started my own businesses. Like they still can't believe even now that I'm still building things and, you know, like still pushing. And I'm like, I'm in a different situation now. Like, you know, I put a lot of my stuff in a trust in the States, you know, and, and so no one can take it from me. I got nothing to lose again. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm always going to be okay. Worst case scenario, I'm just going to end up in a comfortable apartment. Like there's, there's nothing holding me back, you know, but I, I just made it a little different now than before, before it was just, you know, nothing at all. But now I feel like, so what, if everything fails, I'm still good. They can't they take that away from me because it's, and that's an American thing, right? Which I love. It's like, it's not really owned by me anymore. I don't own anything. So we, I, I used the things that I learned about the richer people in America. And I kind of set it up for my family 
in a way where even my parents are really comfortable. Everything's in a trust, everything's well. One of the biggest fears for the Polish community in America is like, if you get sick, they're gonna take your house away when you're old. One of the biggest fears. And I think for a lot of Americans as well. Well, the way I set things up, I'll like tell my parents, get sick as much as you want. They can't take anything. Everything's owned by the trust. You just control it. You don't actually don't own anything. Like I set yeah. things up in a way where the whole family is fine, but I used the knowledge from, you know, seeing business people and richer people use loopholes and other things. And I, I've always done that. And it's the same thing. Like I, I don't ever have a fear of failing because like, what's the worst that could happen? Like 10 years ago, I would have said like the worst thing, I'm just going to go get a job, which is what normal people do. Mm -hmm. save some money and start over again. That's the worst thing that could happen. Well, you it's, know, so. it's, yeah, it's the power of being nimble because in, in Tom, I've kind of taken that, that same mindset a little bit too. I look at this and, and I'm, I'm recording this in, in a little studio that I've set up, but here's the bottom line. Everything that I'm using to talk with you is, is portable. I can pack it up. I can take it with me and I could, I could be in a bunker somewhere doing as long as I've got an internet connection and I've got that covered too. I, you know, you get a hotspot. I, I, I love what you said there about portability because in America, we've always been drilled on security, security, security. We've got to be secure. We've got to be safe. We've got to be taken care of. And for me, my mindset's kind of flipped like, I, I would rather be portable than secure because if I'm always moving and I, and I can continue to do business or I can continue to live my life in, in a portable manner where I'm constantly moving, then, then I'm, I'm way ahead of the game. Like I, like I carry this huge backpack with me when I travel, I have this Nike gym bag. That's a basketball bag thing probably weighs 40 pounds. I have an extra pair of clothes in there. I have my my tech gear. Like if if the airline loses my luggage, I'm I'm cool. I'm okay. I can still work. I can still function. I can still do everything. And I love what you said there about being what you're really talking about is being portable, being nimble, and not relying so much on on external forces, but more on internal forces. Yeah. So I did a podcast this morning. Um, and, you know, someone asked me, like, what success means to me? And I, I, I got to tell you, I was like held back for a bit. I was like, I'm not sure. But what I realized is being able to pick my own battles. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Like no one else gets to pick them for me. No one tells me what to do, where to go, how to do it. That's my freedom. That's my success. Like only I will say, like, we are going to, you know, pick choose this battle and, and go with it. If not, I can always say no and move on. Now the portability, like the, the way I've done it is kind of extreme. Um, like I've tested, stress tested my business a lot. You know, this was maybe five, six years ago. And I moved around the world um, with like two suitcases, uh, 14, 15 countries living three months each. You know, just, I was able to go wherever I want to. And as you know, things happen, communities popped up, like I was really being able to take advantage of, you know, either lower cost of living or a better group of people. Um, so the port portability definitely did help. 
And, you know, it would be, I think, sad. Like if I couldn't move because, oh, I got to wait till I can, I can sell a house or something, you know, like, oh, it seems like such a pain. Well, and, and it's, you know, what I say about portability is, and, and really, and, and I didn't mean to take the conversation this way, but I'm glad it's, it's gone this way, is that business owners have to understand and salespeople have to understand, you get to control your own destiny. If you're not in control of your own destiny, then you're not, you're, you're basically moving, you're, you're waiting on other things to happen instead of making it, which is anti-sales. You know, salespeople, salespeople are trained and conditioned to be making things happen, but yet they're going, well, I can't, I can't sell because we're in a pandemic. Well, my, these businesses are closing because they're in a pandemic. Like if you're waiting on this thing to be over so things can go back to normal, man, you're missing it. You've got to create your own normal. And I love the fact that Tom, that you said, man, I'm going to take control of my business and I'm going to make it to where I can work wherever I want to work. I can do whatever I want to do. And that's, man, that's freedom. When I got to ask this before I move real quick to, to a couple other things. When you moved to America, was that something that when you guys landed in, in, in the States that you went, oh my God, these people are so, they're free. They, they go where they want to go. They do what they want to do. Is that where it really ingrained for you to, to take your business and just make it wherever you wanted to make your business? You want to know the truth? Yeah, absolutely. So two thoughts on that. You know, we were told that America is a free country. It's actually one of the most unfree countries in the world. It's such a police state, it's not even funny. Like I can do things in Poland or Asia, almost any country so much more freely than I could ever do in America, almost everything. And, uh, but the reason why I wanted to um, move around is every Polish person had a dream. And my dad had this dream too. And he couldn't do it, but I, I was able to do it in a much better form. Leave Poland, come back with a lot of money, live like kings. That was everyone's dream, right? Because it didn't take much back then. What I thought is, let me take that a step further. What if I can keep making money in the States in the way I want to and still live in a country like Poland if I wanted to, for example. And that was, you know, and I did, you know, I, I thought it was okay during the summer. Then the, you know, cold uh, weather came and I was like, oh, this sucks. I'm getting out. Kind of but I did it. Chicago you know, in the, in the winter time, you know, Chicago and yeah, Poland's the atmosphere. Same thing. Same yeah. thing. I, I run away from Chicago as soon as the winter comes. Um, Dude, I went to a game in was, Wrigley Field one time. I mean, I went to a game in Wrigley Field in June and I'm thinking, okay, man, June is hot. Cause, cause we have flown from, West Virginia up there for a, or for a conference. And so a guy I worked with, we were like, yeah, let's go to Wrigley Field. We went to a night game. We froze because the, of the, in June, man, it was cold. He was, he looked at me, he's like, man, I'm freezing. I'm like, we're in Chicago. In June, it gets chilly. You know, it's just, it's, it's the way Chicago is. And I didn't, I didn't mean to, to, to jump in there, but I love what you said there about 
and I want to go here for just a minute, man. Forgive me for stretching this out a little bit, but it's so fascinating what you just said there because you're you're 100% right. We are living it at the time we're recording this under mandates. You have to wear a mask in public. You have to do this. You have to do that. If you own a restaurant, you can only have 50% occupancy. You have to social distance. You're 100% right. And, and the regulations that businesses have to, the hurdles that they have to jump through to open a business and run a business is mind-boggling. The tax code. We have, in America, we have over-secured ourselves. We said, well, we, we can't let you do this. You, you'll, if you do this, you'll do it illegally. And a lot of people just want to, they want to run businesses freely. And I love what you said. You're 100% right. We have over-governmentized business. We've over-governmentized everything. And so, man, I, I appreciate you telling the truth because you're 100% right. We, we have it's, done it's this wild. to ourselves. Yeah. It's wild. Like, you know, when I think of my parents, um, they tried to have a small fire in the backyard, really controlled in a, you know, in a little pit, got a ticket. Nothing, one foot wrong, too nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah. No, one foot too, too close to the fence. Okay. My dad was hammering something. The police showed up. Someone messaged that he's fixing the house without a permit. He's like, I'm putting up pictures on the walls, you know, things like that. And I'm like, there's nothing free about that country. Like for me, like I'm, I'm getting some blood work done like we do every year just to test myself. And I like to get different opinions. So I messaged one of the doctors in America. I want you to do this, blah, blah, blah. First message back I get. Oh, if you're in the States, the lab work's going to take three months. But if you're out, like, I don't know, we can't send you medicine, blah, blah, blah. I was like, lady, listen here. I'm in a free country right now. Yeah. You tell me what I need. I get it over the counter at any pharmacy I want to. Like, there's none of this nonsense in, in these other countries. Like, go get it. Yeah. You just use your expertise and tell me, right? But it's like, I'm hearing all this pushback over things like, why are you pushing back? It's just medication. If I need something, just tell me. I go to the pharmacy down the street and I pay one-tenth of what you're paying. So, yeah, we, we, like, yeah, we, we definitely, yeah. You, you're 100% because, again, as I was talking about a minute ago, my wife and I went to Best Buy less than 10 minutes away. We walked in. We got a router. We hooked it up. You should be able to go do that. You know, I, I shouldn't need... I shouldn't need someone's permission to visit a loved one in the hospital because of a of pandemic or, or something like that. I shouldn't need your, your permission to go do something in a, in a free country. I, I, I mean, I, I love what you said there and people are going, when well, you're getting political, well, you know what? Here's the thing. This guy knows what it's like to live in a, you, you know what it's like to grow up in a communist country you know what that looks like. And what you're saying is people that that's not cool. You, you know, you don't want to live there. You think it's bad. Now you don't want to live in a true place. Cause you know what a police state looks like, Tom, you, you, I do, I do. I do. And, and that's the thing, man, like in my parents, you know, especially, you know, they keep saying like, we moved out of one police state into a next, yeah. like who would have thought, who would have thought, and like I said, the only good thing out of it is me. Like I'm taking advantage of the business yep. world. Um, yeah, have running a brick and mortar in America is not fun at all. I had it. 
you really know. always problems with codes, with taxes, with yeah. unemployment, like so much nonsense. Running an online business, yeah, it's, it's much sweeter. And especially if you're able to go wherever you want to and run it, even better. Well, exactly, exactly. And, and, and Tom, again, I want to be respectful of your time. And, and man, this has been dynamic conversation. I want to ask you about the biggest obstacle whether personally or in business that you've overcome, because you, you were very candid about you and your family moving to the States. And I appreciate you sharing that with, with us. What's the biggest obstacle that you've overcome and in, in the lesson you learned from it, whether personally or in business? I think for me, it was overcoming this hustle mentality. You know, like seeing the way my dad was running a business and the way Polish people usually run businesses, everything was a hustle when I was growing up, you know, and you know, hustles are hustles. <laughs> they, they usually, that's what they are. And it took me a long time to figure out how to run a proper business, you know, play long-term games with long-term people. And it was, it was very difficult wrapping my mind around, you know, let's not do this other hustle and make a lot of money. It's going to stop in four years. Let's actually build things and do it the proper way. It was, it, was, it was actually a very difficult problem for me. And it took me many, many years to kind of move from this. Oh, yeah, but we could still make a killing here, you know, really quick or there. Yeah, it was, it was a long time. But that was from my roots, you know. Like with my dad, it was always like, what's the next hustle? What are we going to do? Going to Sweden, Germany? What are we, what are we doing? You know, yeah. it's... Uh, a lot of the things um, that we learn when we're kids, we then take a long time to unlearn. Wow, man, that's, I love what you said there. It's about shifting that mindset. It really is because you think, okay, it's a learned behavior. I've all, we've always done it this way. We've always, we can't change it because this is the way we've always done it. I love what you said there about it didn't take us long to unlearn something. Like we just, we decided this was not working anymore. We were going to move it, man. I love that. Leave the audience, if you will, my last question for you. And again, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed our conversation. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for business owner, for somebody out there going, Hey Tom, I want to take that next step, make that next move or I'm feeling a pinch right now, what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks? So the, the main thing that I can tell you um, from what I'm seeing that stops a lot of people, stop waiting for someone else's permission. That is so good. That is so good. Yeah, why would you wait for anybody's permission to do anything? But but it it becomes, you know, even in, in ways that some people don't realize. I want to get on a podcast, so I'm waiting for someone to respond, and I'm not looking for other ones. I'm, you know, trying to get into this position, um, and, and let's they do marketing, so I'm waiting for someone to hire me instead of just learning marketing and trying to do it themselves. Like this, this you know, shows up in a lot of different ways, but I find a lot of people wait and ask for permission, you know, like in the course space, I'll see people be like, do you think this is a good idea? Why do you need my permission? Yeah. Why? 
just test it out, validate it, see if it sells. If not, then create something else. But I see that stopping a lot of people. And the pandemic is even, you know, making it worse because now I'm like, not only am I waiting for permission from someone, I'm also hoping that things become better. You know, like maybe magically on December 31st, everything bad goes away and next year is going to be amazing. I'll just do it next year. So they're putting it off and they're also waiting, you know, on the permission. So it's a double whammy. So don't do that. Man, I love that. What a, what a what a powerful way to 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 end our conversation. Tom, we could have we could have done two hours. Your your story is so powerful and it's fascinating. He is also, and I failed to mention this, he's also the host of the Smart Brand Marketing Podcast. So check that out. Um, check out We Market Online Courses. Where else can people find you, connect with you, get a hold of you, uh, tap into your businesses? The floor is yours, man. Tell people how they can get a hold of you. You just you just mentioned it. I, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing. The, the course marketing and a smart brand marketing podcast. That's actually the umbrella company. So if you go to smartbrandmarketing.com, you can contact me. There are no walls in between me and people. Like you just message, I'll I'll get it. Um, yeah, very very easy to find. Um, but yeah, like look, I, I know you know things are hard, but things are always hard. Like if you want to, you know, get started on something, if you want to learn something, just, just get started on it. You know, like uh, there, there's a book by Stephen King on writing, right? And, you know, it's, it's a pretty long book. And yeah, there's a lot of good info in there. But, you know, he says, if you want to become a writer, just write. That's it. So he sums it up in a sentence in the beginning. And then once you start going, get, you know, once you get going at something, you're going to find a lot of nuance and, you're going to learn different tactics, strategies, blah, blah, blah. But initially, you just got to get going at it. That's that's really it. I've, so that's the I'm, advice I can give. I'm glad you said that. And I'll finish with this is that I say to myself, man, I wish I had done X, Y, Z when I started podcasting. I didn't know what I didn't know. So now I'm so much further down the road. I know that if I had to halt this and then start from scratch, I know exactly what I would do. And I can help other people do that same thing. Man, you, Tom, you have been, this is so good, man. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I, go go find this guy and, 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 and connect with him. Tom Libelt, L-I-B-E-L-T. Find him on LinkedIn, find him on other platforms. Man, thank you so much. What a powerful conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was, uh, it was good. It was good. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.